630 Chad Inside Sports with Reed Wilkins. Weekdays at 6 on 630 Chad. Hey, this is Jordan Everly from your Edmonton Oilers. You're listening to Inside Sports with Reed Wilkins on Oilers Radio 630 Chad. The Oil Kings about to get underway against Tyler Benson and the Vancouver Giants at Rogers Place. We'll keep you updated throughout the evening. Here's the deal tomorrow. We got an extended face-off show. We'll start at 6 o'clock for the Oilers and the Flames. We'll switch over to the Oilers radio network just before 8. Now, the game isn't going to start till, I'm hearing possibly as late as 8.45, but if you're going, you're being asked to be in your seats for uh, 7.45 for the pregame video and all that kind of stuff. Uh, Rob Brown and I are going to do an interpretive dance, so it's going to be incredible. Thanks a lot for tuning in tonight. 7.06 Inside Sports on 6.30. Chad, DB texting in. He says, uh, these people that like to watch their math hockey need to give Chris Russell a break. He takes no nights off. The Oilers will get the type of leadership that they were looking for in Andrew Ference. It's a good pickup. Peter Shirelli on Oilers Now earlier today commenting on uh, on the analytics to evaluate defense and how a lot of the analytics people uh, aren't a fan of Chris Russell. Well, the analytics, I've seen, I saw that article yeah. today, and, and, um, and I understand, like, relying on analytics for D-man is tough. And, and, and while you look at it, we look at all that stuff. I, look, I, saw I, know, I know you do. I saw all that stuff on yeah. him, but um, we need someone who can retrieve pucks and can transport the puck through the uh, through the um, through the neutral zone. You know, just a side note: analytics with regard to Chris, uh, he was second in the league as far as clean entries into the uh, offensive zone and the neutral zone. So whether it's a pass or skating, second in the league. And now that's not in conventional um, analytics that you just kind of derivatives, of course. That's on, that's on our, our own program that we have. And uh, there's a few other teams that have it. Second in the league. So uh, you look at that, you look at what you see as far as retrieving pucks, opening up and creating you know, creating lanes. And, and we're really happy. So, you know, I understand the analytics group. And, and, and you know, like there's, you can, you can, you can spin. You can derive analytics any way you want. At the end of the day, um, and there's been, you know, there's a lot of moves that are based on analytics that don't work out. So, uh, we're, we're happy with this move. We think there's, he's young. He can skate. Um, still, like young, relatively speaking. So we're we're happy with it. Well, that was interesting from Peter Shirelli, indicating that let's look beyond Corsi when we're talking analytics and that uh, there you go, Chris Russell, second in clean zone entries apparently in the NHL. I don't know. I mean, you can always find a stat that I think supports or doesn't support the player you like or don't like. I do know I have a lot of stats supporting this guy as a guest. It's Pat Steinberg from the Flames Radio Network. Good evening, Pat. Oh, I'd like to know what stats you have for me. Uh, we're uh, Happy words per minute. There you go. <laughs> <laughs> I wanted to know more about your interpretive dance with Rob Brown and the wardrobe you're going to wear, but I don't feel like you're going to get into that. Tonight, well, probably so. some sort of a unitard. Is that what they're called? Something quite form-fitting. That's all I'm prepared to say. Okay. I am Reed Wilkins in a onesie, everybody. Uh, Pat, first of all, thanks for joining us. Fun time of year. you got to tell people here, because you covered the man and saw him play in person uh, a lot, Chris Russell, thumbs up or thumbs down to the signing by the Oilers? Well, it's tough to give it a thumbs down. I mean, look, I I certainly watched Russell play on this team with 
good and bad results for, geez, more than three seasons or about three seasons. And in the time that he played here, he did a lot of good things for the Flames. And I, at the end of the 14-15 season, when Mark Giordano went down and the, the, they lost their best player that year for the rest of the season and the work that Russell did in stepping up and, and not only a huge leadership role but a huge role on the ice and I thought did a really good job of playing that role on the ice so I saw a lot of good from Chris Russell and I also saw some of the things that you know the detractors see I mean that look he he does spend a lot of time in his own end and it's now with a large enough sample size that I don't think it's just a fluke. I don't think we're just talking about uh, an isolated season. And I think we just lost Pat. Patrick, can you check that connection? Patrick Bauer, our uh, new studio operator, on the other side of the window. I want to get uh, I want to get Pat on the line there because I also want to talk about the Versteeg and Goudreau storylines because that's a big one. I know for a while Oilers fans were like, "Hey, we might get these two games against the Flames without Goudreau," and then he signs the uh, the new contract. Todd McClellan today, I, I, I asked him, you know, Todd, going into the season. In your head, do you have a goal for wins or points looking at past playoff races about what you want to get to for this year? Well, we'll, um, we'll work in, in segments as a team. Um, and uh, we think that we have to bank X number of points during those segments. And uh, if you have a bad one, it gives you an opportunity to leave it behind and start over again. If you have a good one, the same thing has to happen. There's always a restart button. Um, for me, it's I think the goals for and against really dictate where, uh, where the team is going. And um, there's two teams, I believe, last year that had a negative number that made it in. Uh, one that had a positive, I think, that, that stayed out of it. But uh, that's a realistic goal for us because if we can narrow that number down and get it to where everybody else is playoff-wise, then we'll give our, our team a chance. And McClellan also indicated that they are going to go with five-game segments. He did not reveal the goal that they set, but I think it's a pretty safe bet to say that you try to get six points every five games. There are 14 five-game segments. Uh, six times, well, maybe it's more. Six times 14 is 84. Maybe they, or maybe they change it every five-game segment, depending on home or away. If you got six points every five games, and then you had a couple extra games, you would be right in that range I'm talking about of 38 wins. All right, do we have a clean connection, Pat, old boy? Yes, we do. I think that must be much better, I think. You took the tin foil off your head, and now you're fine. Yeah, uh, I also, I, I swapped the uh, the string in the tin can for a cellular telephone. This should work. All right. Uh, just finish that thought of when Russell kind of had to bear more of the load when Giordano was out. Yeah, so that was fall of 2015, and he did a really good job of stepping up when he needed to. He did a really good job of taking on not only a larger leadership role, but a larger role on the ice too and I think that he was a big reason why the Flames were able to qualify for the postseason that year and a huge reason why they were able to to win a playoff round over Vancouver however I've also seen Russell with I've also seen his limitations and I think the limitations are 
what you hear a lot of the detractors point to, and that he does spend a lot of time in his own end. He does, and we're not just talking about a small, isolated sample size anymore. We're talking about more often than not in his time with the Flames and with the Dallas Stars last year, and even in his time in prior stops in St. Louis and Columbus. His body of work shows that regardless of how he's utilized, he spends too much time defending. He's a very good skater. He does a nice job walking the line offensively. He does a nice job getting a shot through the point but his work and this is from my own viewings from my own eyes and getting an opportunity to watch him and talking to some people around the league his largest limitations are his work between the blue lines and the gaps that he has to uh to players entering the zone and what happens is and you'll see saw this a lot i thought it was exposed quite a bit in his time with dallas is that you can you can gain the zone pretty easily on him, which explains why he spends so much time in his own end. It doesn't make him a bad signing, though. It makes him a player just like anybody else who has limitations and a player that you want to play to his strengths. The Oilers signed him to a one-year deal, and yeah, it's $3.1 million, but Oilers don't have a lot of cap issues right now. So a one-year deal for a defender that, to me, is a very capable NHL defenseman and a guy who I think is best suited to play a 4-5-6 role in this league. And, you know, it looks like he's going to be playing with Sekera tomorrow to start in the season opener against the Flames. That's probably a decent place for him to slot. You know, I think that he is a decent pickup. And, and I'll say this much, from, from an Oilers perspective, I think he's an upgrade up there. So is he, going to, is he going to instantly solve all of Edmonton's problems? No, and that's not what he's being signed for. He wouldn't have waited until... October to sign if he was going to be the savior but I think he's a very capable defenseman I think he's an upgrade on what you guys had up there already and I think that if he's slotted correctly he can do a lot of nice things for you and and the texture that came on just before you brought me on or the text that you read just before you brought me on one thing you can never ever question about Chris Russell is his compete and the guy will the guy will go to the wall whether it be the first period of game three or you know, when you really need him to come a playoff push or the postseason. The guy is exactly the type of personality you want inside that room. So Flames were very much into him. I think there was, without question, mutual interest in bringing Chris back to Calgary. Didn't work out with their cap situation, needing to get Johnny Gaudreau signed, so on and so forth. He found a very nice fit in Edmonton. And, and I think that, you know, used in the right situation, he can be he can be effective for the Oilers. Well, I, I love that answer, and that's a detail I want to watch for, is his gap in the neutral zone, and is he retreating a little bit too much? And that leads to some of those situations. Really good answer, Pat. You mentioned Goudreau. So what took so long? And, 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 I mean, you must have been at the point where you're thinking, he's probably not playing tomorrow, but they got it done in time. I, I was stunned. I'll be honest with you. I uh, finished uh, finished the practice yesterday, watched practice, did a little bit of work. I was like, you know what? It's Thanksgiving. I got Thanksgiving dinner that night. Going to have a little bit of a nap. Had a little bit of a nap. Woke up about 20 minutes after he signed, and I was stunned that he signed because we were sitting there watching practice at the Saddledome yesterday, and the, the realization was kind of sinking in that, hey, like he's going to miss the first game of the season. He's going to actually miss you know, meaningful NHL hockey this year. And, you know, I had kind of been resigned to the fact and did not see that coming whatsoever. Every every sign, every indication was that things were not very good. And the next thing you know, they signed a six-year contract extension. So I was stunned by it. I did not see it coming. And, and more than anything else, the thing that maybe stunned me the most is that 
they came to a real compromise. There was no, I don't look at this deal as one side giving in or over the other. I think when I, I wrote an article about it uh, this morning, and, and I think this is a really good compromise and a deal that works for, for both sides. I mean, the, the Flames don't get the ideal contract because they don't get him for eight years. A player of Gaudreau's stature, you want him signed as long as you possibly can. You want to buy up as many UFA years as you can, and you want to, you know, have him going to unrestricted free agency as late as humanly possible. Well, they they miss two years of unrestricted free agency. They only buy up one year, but the byproduct of that is they're able to, to get the AAV down a little bit. So on the flame side, it works, but it's not perfect. On the Gaudreau side, no doubt about it. He and the agent were pushing for a higher average annual value. But by bringing the, uh, the, the term length down, you also bring the AAV down, and by doing that, he gets to unrestricted free agency quicker. So Gaudreau doesn't get everything that he wants, but he still gets market value on a six-year deal. He gets to UFA a little bit quicker, only one year after eligibility, and, and they actually did a really nice job of finding solid middle ground. That was I thought it was going to be one of those deals. I thought it was going to go the Ryan Johansson or Ryan O'Reilly or Kyle Turris route where okay, they miss a little bit of time in the regular season or it's right up to the 11th hour before the start of the regular season and then it's a short-term deal, not the long-term deal that we were just talking about, just a short-term deal to get them in uniform so you can temporarily alleviate the problem. Well, this is still a long-term fix. It's not as long as it could be, but it's a six-year deal. So I give both sides a lot of credit. I think the pressure point of the season starting, nobody wanted to see Gaudreau sit out regular season games. I I think it, it really put the accelerator on this thing from both sides sides, and I give a lot of credit to Brad Treliving, Brian Burke on Calgary's side, and, and to the agent, Lewis Gross, and to the player, Johnny Gaudreau, on the on the player's side, because they did a nice job meeting in the middle, and now he'll be in the lineup to take on the Oilers tomorrow night. All right, Pat Steinberg from the Flames Radio Network joining us. I got one more for you. Richard in Kelowna texting in. Reed, I hear Calgary gave Versteeg a no-trade clause. Wow. Uh, I thought it was a limited no-trade clause, Pat, but you can enlighten us on that and maybe how you saw this kind of a, a stunning shift here because yesterday Versteeg was talking like, yeah, I'm getting a contract and he had practiced with the Oilers and, and now all of a sudden he's a Calgary Flame. Yeah, apparently the no-trade clause is a very limited one. It's like a three-team clause of teams that he won't be traded to. So he's got three teams the Flames can't trade him to if they were to want to go down that road before the deadline. So 26 teams they could trade him to. So it's a very limited no-trade clause, but still slightly surprising that a guy who is on a PTO on another in another team's camp ends up getting a no trade clause and he signs a contract even if it is one year. But even even in saying that, I, I like the I like the contract for Calgary. I think that Versteeg is still a very capable middle six winger. And you know the thing the thing that Versteeg told me today when he came on our show this afternoon was you know, he was looking for opportunity and he was looking to play every day. And he didn't necessarily see that opportunity with the Oilers, mainly because on the right side, Oilers are a much deeper team right now than the Flames are. When you guys are talking about Everly, Dreisaitl, and now Pujarvi down the right side, and the Flames are talking about Brower and Frolik, well, all of a sudden there's much more opportunity. And I, I think Versteeg is going to have a real shot to play on the top line. And it wouldn't surprise me tomorrow at Rogers Place if you're seeing Sean Monaghan and Johnny Gaudreau line up on the same line with Versteeg. And he just wasn't going to get that opportunity in Edmonton. So that's mainly the reason why he signed in Calgary. And as you'd know, I mean, he came to Edmonton's camp and he signed a PTO because he wanted to be close to home. He wanted to be in Alberta. He's from Lethbridge. And so he wanted to be as close as home to po- as, as possible. So 
Yeah, it, it, it seems to make sense when you hear him talk about it. I think he'll be a nice fit with the Flames because, boy, oh, boy, they are thin on the right side. And there's a thin period on the wings right now. They've got some decent high-end. Gaudreau, Brower, Frolik are all nice wingers. Uh, Matthew Kachuk's going to make this team out of camp, and he's a very, very promising prospect, much like Pugliarvi is in, in Edmonton. But from their read, it really drops off, and, and there was not a lot of bottom push from you know, minor league players during camp, so they felt they needed to sign somebody that could give them quality NHL minutes on the right side, and they decided not to take a flyer on a P.A. Parento or a Timu Polkinen on waivers, and instead went the Versteeg route on, on a very reasonable one-year $950,000 contract. I think, I think it's a pretty sensible move. All right. Well, it's going to be fun starting with the home and home between these two teams. Hopefully it turns out to be more this season than what one of my listeners dubbed it last year, the pillow fight of Alberta. Maybe if it doesn't become a battle, maybe it becomes like at least furious scratching. Or, yeah, just or like, like just that. like a heated spar would be nice. Yeah. You know? like, <laughs> the heated spar of Alberta. That's great. <laughs> better than what we've had lately. Pat, uh, I think you're in the middle of uh, exercising. You keep your mind and your body in shape. Thank you for joining us on Inside Sports. You know what? I came up from the basement. I caught my breath for the one and only Reed Wilkins. Uh, enjoy the game tomorrow. Enjoy the uh, regular season debut of Rogers Place. We're all jealous down here of your new rinks. So uh, have fun tomorrow, and uh, hopefully we get a couple of good games tomorrow on Friday. That's Pat Steinberg checking in from the Flames Radio Network. Really good insight there on what happened with Goudreau, on how Versteeg is going to fit in there, and also on Chris Russell, who's now an Edmonton Oiler. All right, we got to take a quick timeout. The next half hour, oh my goodness, Jason Strudwick and Rob Brown coming up on Inside Sports on Oilers and Eskimos Radio, 630 Chad. Good to have you along for the ride tonight. How about uh, Sidney Crosby? Another concussion after colliding with a teammate in practice. Tough for him. Wayne Gretzky's wine and whiskey opened up today at the Edmonton International Airport. I'm calling 38 wins for the Oilers. I'm predicting 92 points for McDavid. What are you most encouraged about? What are you most discouraged about when it comes to the Oilers heading into the new season? You can text 630-630, and I'll ask Jason Strudwick that question when we get back. This is Inside Sports with Reed Wilkins on Edmonton Sports Leader, 630 Chad. The Oil Kings in action tonight. Late in the first period, no score against the Vancouver Giants. About three and a half minutes left in the first. And the Oil Kings out shooting Vancouver. 10-1. Your scoreboard update is for Crystal Glass. For all your glass needs, you can call 310-GLASS today. Baseball, bottom of the third. Cubs and Giants tied 1-1. Cubs are up 2-1 in that series. Earlier, the Dodgers beat the Nationals 6-5, forcing a fifth and decisive game in that series back in Washington. Blue Jays and Cleveland in the American League Championship Series. Uh, that'll start uh, when Friday, I believe. That is slated to start. Blue Jays manager John Givens 
they got a good defensive club. You know, real, they're real athletic and young. So tough, tough ball club to shut down. And, and they're and they're hot like us too. You know, going they, you know, they end up finishing really strong and, and winning the home field advantage. And you know, then they swept Boston. So they're playing really good too right now. All right, that'll be a fun series to watch. Blue Jays in the ALCS once again. Oh, you know what? This is pretty cool. Wanted to shoot it, but he never got any wood on it. And it's Mara going the other way with Stredwick to the net. He scores. Jason Stredwick, a defenseman again, scores the goal. Two from Roosevelt, one from Girardi, and another one from Jason. Jason Stredwick, overtime winner <laughs> for the uh, Rangers against the Penguins. That's right. I think that I uh, gave a uh, minus to Malkin, I think, on that one. You didn't want to back check the big guy. So you, you chew on a minus, Malkin. <laughs> there there you go. Uh, obviously, the Penguins broadcast crew. Uh, fortunately, I couldn't find the Rangers one that they might have actually sounded excited that you scored. Yeah, no, I don't think the, Pex or, uh, the Penguins are very happy about that. But it's interesting. We were winning that game 3 nothing. Then he stormed back to tie it up. To me, we had to 3-3. We're like, oh, my God, we're going to lose. And then I always got one shift in overtime at the Rangers. Perry Perner always put me out around the 2.30 mark. And he'd be like, go give me 45 good seconds. So I'd go flying around out there, try to do something. And I actually did this time, which was great. Uh, was that your first and only NHL overtime goal? Yeah, yeah, it was. And you know what? I, I never thought I'd get one. <laughs> uh, four on four, obviously, at that because that was 08, 09, I believe. So four on four. Uh, was, yeah. do, you, do you think you ever would have got to play in three on three? Um, no, and no, no. There's no way. You know, like I, I it was. There, you know, when I watched that uh, when it came into the new rules, I remember being up top watching, and it looked like the rink was empty. It looked like uh, there was just not enough people. Six players on the ice is a big difference from ten. Obviously, I'm not counting the goalies, and it is just. It's so much. It's just so fast, so fun, back and forth action. You know, would I like to go out there? Yeah, I would, but I don't think the coaches would have put me out there. There's, you know, 18 guys on the bench, and you're going to tell me I'm one of the top six or nine, uh, I don't think I'm going to get that tap, especially towards the end of my career. Okay, so from the era you played, that, you know, guys you would have played with or against that, like you, didn't get to experience three-on-three, who do you think would have been the most deadly? Oh, man, that's a good question. Um, You know, one guy I think I would love to see in Dillon is Ed Jovanovsky. Now, really? he was a D-man for a long time, Florida and Vancouver. Yeah, you know, he was very good at jumping off the ice, very quick, got up the ice quick, and he loved jumping up. And he had these wheel. we called him Crazy Lakes. That was his nickname. And he'd get his feet flying up the ice, and I don't think he had any issue with jumping up a lot of times uh, to, make, to try to create some offense and get back in time. He would have been a really fun guy. And obviously, I'd have to say Pavel Burry. I mean, Pavel, I only played him in a short time, but his speed... And he had a knack for not always wanting to be on the defensive side of the puck, so he would have got his fair share of breakaways uh, as the, the three three would have progressed. Uh, I mean, you're uh, you're from an era. Notice I'm not saying old enough. You're from an era <laughs> uh, where you you still would have had tie games when you were uh, in junior yeah. and I think early in your NHL career. I, and I mean, now you get a point for losing in overtime, so it's not quite nothing. But I mean, what, did would would after a tie game would players be like, "Well, that sucked. Nobody won," or how do they react to like just getting a? Does losing in overtime still feel like a, like a loss, even to, even though you're getting a point? I'm, I'm curious because fans debate it. I'm wondering what players are thinking. Yeah, good point. Now, before when there were still tie games, I think it was either if it was just it was a close game, you ended the tie, like okay. But if you felt like you outplayed the other, outplayed the other team and you, you didn't get that extra point, 
you were disappointed or if you felt like you got outplayed and still got a point like, hey, thank God we got one. You know, like, for instance, on the back-to-back game, let's say you played Anaheim and go into L.A. and you tied them 1-1 and you're like, you're tired and they were a good team. Like, okay, that's a pretty good point. I know that would be a valuable point. But if the other side, you should have beat a team and you got the point, you're like, oh, God, that really sucks. As far as the overtime game, especially in the shootout, when it ends in a shootout, it really it, it doesn't really feel like a loss because, for the most part, most of the guys aren't involved. You send out three guys from each team, and after that, it's kind of like, okay, well, you know, we, we won the game 2-1, but, you know, one guy scored a goal in overtime or in the shootout, and we win. So it's kind of anticlimactic. I think you enjoy the shootout for what it is, but it doesn't really feel like a team win. Uh, if that makes sense, were, were you on, were you on the Rangers for that Malik goal? Yeah, well, I was scored right before him. Right, Reed, I've told everyone in Edmonton the story about ten times. Are you the only one I haven't told the story to? Yes, <laughs> it, it's amazing. I mean, before that, we we got down. There was about three or four guys left. There was Darius Kasparitis who had terrible hands. Uh, Fedor Tuna had just broken his finger in earlier in the period, so he couldn't go. And then there was uh, 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 the big guy, Merrick Malik. So they sent me out, and Tom Rennie, I was like, thanks a lot, buddy. And I had to score it because the other guy had scored. So I went out there, and I went uh, underneath the arm on the blocker side of Olaf Kolzik. Uh, whether it was by accident or on purpose, it doesn't really matter. The puck still went in, Reed. And then uh, Merrick went in there after, and he went through his legs and threw it up top. And that was the first long shootout. And uh, I'll never forget, I was literally sitting on the bench, and usually I would just undo my skates because I'm like, I'm not getting out there. I want to be in the shower first. And then I had to literally do my skates back up and get ready to go out there, and I did. And I, I was so happy when I scored. It was it was more joy and and relief uh, than than you know just unbridled enthusiasm. Jason Strudwick, former Edmonton Oiler defenseman, joining us inside Sports on six thirty. Chet. All right, now I'm going to ask you what I actually told you I was going to ask you about earlier today, as opposed to just throwing these wild curveballs at you. Uh, yeah. <laughs> actually, no. I have another question first before I yeah, get to the it. questions. The the eve of the regular season, after going through training camp. How how did you feel as a player? Were you like, thank God the preseason's over, or where were you at? I think it changes. When you're young, you're just so happy to be in the NHL and you're not getting, or sorry, you know, in training camp, you're not getting cut. Like, oh, please, like, don't cut me today. Please don't cut me. But I remember I was cut one of the last cuts with the New York Islanders, one of my first training camps, and I was so disappointed. You know, I thought I'd get maybe one game just to have that taste, right? But it didn't happen. Then as you get older, you're like, Oh, my God, thank God this is over. Finally, you know, we get to go into real games and make some magic happen. So it changes depending where you're at. Um, if you're feeling good about your game, especially if you have no injuries the prior season, you had a good summer working out, you skated well. You know, honestly, you need one exhibition game, then you're fine. Like, let's just start the season because the intensity picks up as the season moves along through October, November, and on into uh, April. Um, you know, like this, this three, four, five exhibition games, after a while, it's like enough, all right? We don't need that anymore. Uh, I feel ready to go, and I, I'm prepared. All right. So here's what I want to know. Uh, I got two. I'll start with this one. Going okay. into the uh, Oilers' season starts tomorrow against Calgary. We have the game on Chad. What most encourage you encourages you about the Oilers as the season begins? The defense. All right. This isn't going to be popular, but I like this defensive makeup. Are they world class? No, but it's an improvement from what they started on the season last year. There was a price to be paid to get on Larson, but what you're going to get from the Larson class final, what I think Todd McClellan and the company are hoping you're going to get, is steady. They're going to get 20 to 25 minutes a night of steady, uh, effective hockey they can count on. Then he dropped down and he got uh, Sekera and Russell. Russell, I like Russell. I think he brings a dynamic to the penalty kill they didn't have. A guy that can show a guy like Nurse, uh, Davidson, you know, what it's like to have to block shots at crucial times. 
you know, where to be, where to position themselves on the penalty kill. Because it's not always for a defenseman about how fast you can move on the penalty kill. It's about where you stand, and you don't have to move uh, in a lot of areas. And then he dropped down, and you got Nurse Davidson. And that group, you know, I think it's young. I think Nurse still has a ways to go to understand how to play, uh, where to be on the ice. I think that's where Russell will help him with. But there's some balance and some texture, those, that, that, that there's something there. Then he's still got Griba that can come in if you need injuries. You got Sane there as well. Matt Benning's a guy you can call up in a pinch. You can bring up Griff Reinhardt. So there's the top six are fairly solid, and you got some depth. Something we haven't seen here with Yoder since perhaps that kind of depth since maybe uh, 2006. All right, interesting. Most discouraging thing about the Oilers going into the season? Center, the center position, and I'm really concerned about this idea of playing dry side on the wing with nine new Hopkins at center. So let's assume everyone's fine tomorrow and Drake Kajula is going gonna, is gonna to start uh, at center or whether it's Anton Lander. But I, I'm, I'm assuming the plan will be have Kajula at center, third-line center. I'm very uncomfortable with having Kajula in that spot because uh, on the road, teams are going to victimize him. He's, been, he's impressed me in training camp. I like what he's at. Start him in a softer spot. Start him on the wing where he's mostly played most of his career where he can have some success on the wing and do what he does, which is, you know, he, he's a smart player. He's got some courage to him, which I like. And he, he, he looks like he's turning toward an HL player. But asking this guy in the short term, long term, to be a centerman and never played pro hockey before, that's way too much. So I think that's a real area of concern uh, if you're Todd McClellan and company. All right. Uh, Munchie has texted in. He says this for Stieg deal. My issue is this. The Oilers were going to sign him, which tells me they felt another right winger was a good idea. So Calgary scoops him up, and the Oilers do nothing. No waiver wire, no trade, no other UFA signing. Am I wrong in saying there's a problem here? Well, I guess it depends how bad you wanted Parento or Polkanen. Um, I mean, yesterday it looked like Versteeg was going to be an Oiler, and we had Pat Steinberg go to Calgary on in the last half hour, Jason, who said it looks like Versteeg simply looked at the Flames roster and said, I'm going to play more there. Yeah, I don't understand that one at all because I, I like as I just talked about. I don't see Drysital being the or sorry, Kajula being that third line center in the in the long run. So I think you're going to have to see Drysital drop back down to that third position or, or second, whatever you want to call him. Him and Nuge alternate back and forth at center, and now you've got uh, two spots open on the wing, which one includes Jesse Pugliarvi, mm-hmm. who he had, did improve as the, as the um, training camp went on. I don't think he's NHL ready at this point. So if you remove Jesse Pugliarvi after, let's say, 10 games, whatever the number is, now you have two spots open on that right side. Is it gonna, who do you fill those up? Is it Pat Ryan? Is it Slepeshev? Are those two guys that don't have a lot of NHL experience either? Are they going to play in the second and or third line? So, you know, if I'm Vistri, that's a, I, I'm like, this is a chance for me to play. I might not get it right away, but I get it as we go along. All right. Jason, thanks for coming on. I know you had a busy uh, evening over on uh, Dinner Television on uh, on City TV. I think you might have had to fill in for Courtney Terrio tonight because I think he might still be away. So I do appreciate you making time for me, buddy. Read any time for you, buddy. I'll talk to you soon. All right. That is Jason Strudwick. Check it in. Always great to have him on the show. Love the stories from Jason. Shootout memories, overtime goal memories. The guy really was uh, an offensive powerhouse, at least in the two games we talked about. Uh, i tell you what, quick timeout, and then we're going to bring Rob Brown in, Inside Sports on Chet. Your home for breaking news and expert opinion. Inside Sports with Reed Wilkins on 630 Chet. All right. Got a little surprise here, too. Pass was already made. It's a three-on-two now for Chicago. Rob Brown shooting LeMay with a save, and the puck drops, and it goes into the net, and it's a four-to-one advantage for Chicago. Yeah, thanks to the magic of YouTube.
had a Jason Strudwick goal. And I got a Rob Brown goal, Rob, apparently from May 7th, 2002, Game 7 versus Syracuse. Uh, you made a lot of people unhappy. That was very quiet when you scored that goal. Story of my life, I've always made a lot of people unhappy. I'm just shocked you found a Jason Strudwick goal. I didn't know they actually had any of those. It was, it was like an overtime like goal. Rare, it's like finding a rare diamond. <laughs> uh... Well, and plus, it was an overtime goal, so that's pretty unbelievable. Oh, okay, yeah, that's right. He talks about that one all the time. Okay, I remember that now. I think he's got a picture of it. Someone painted a painting of it in his house too. He's lived off of that one forever, Strud. Uh, does that does that one ring any memories? Uh, Game seven, Syracuse. JF Labe. It looked like it hit him and then flipped up in the air and went in. I never would have remembered the goalie's name, but I do remember we we. That was the year we won the uh, Calder Cup, and we had, I think we had to face seven or eight elimination games, and we lost game six, then had to come back and win game seven to uh, to win that series. So don't remember the goal, I do remember the series. Uh, yeah, you had some pretty good runs uh, in the AHL and IHL late in, late in your career, so those must have been pretty fun. Uh, they were. Anytime you win a championship, whether it's uh, Peewee AA, uh, NHL, World Championships, minors, it doesn't matter. You, you're with a bunch of guys with one goal, and when you succeed and accomplish that goal, it's, it's a memory that you never forget with a bunch of guys that you never forget. All right, Rob Brown joining us inside Sports on 630 Chet, our Oilers analyst. Rob and I will be on uh, before, after, and during the game tomorrow night as the Oilers meet. We didn't think we'd be saying this. Chris Versteeg and the Calgary Flames. Jeez. Yeah, that was a little surprising when I saw that tweeted out this morning. Uh, uh, you know, good on him. He came in with no contract, ends up getting a contract. Unfortunately, it's not for the Oilers. And, uh, well, very quickly we get to see what he can do at the National Hockey League level against the Oilers since we'll be playing against them uh, the next two games. Um, it, Drake Kajula is going to start the year injured. Do you, tomorrow if it's you, do you put, Leon Dreisaitl back to center, or do you throw Anton Lander in at center, and then maybe you dress, uh, you move Pulyarve up, and maybe dress Slepyshev down the right side? Uh, honestly, I, I like Dreisaitl better on the wing with Nugent Hopkins. I just think that the Oilers right now are not deep enough on the wings to separate all three centers. I, I think they're a much stronger team if you put Dreisaitl on the line with Nugent Hopkins. Now you got two very, very good lines. Problem with that is your depth isn't good. I mean, the Oilers have always struggled with depth on their third and fourth lines, but this, even more so with the injuries that they have, they, they were figuring they were going to have Versteeg in the lineup. He's gone. So, I, I honestly, I would go dry settle on the ring, wing, bring Lander, put him at center, and, and hope that Lander, with this opportunity, can prove that he is more than just a good AHL player. All right, Rob, uh, got a bit of a theme tonight, I'll, uh, and I texted you this earlier, so I gave you a little bit of homework today so you could think about it. First question, and I asked Jason the same uh, question here about, about 15 minutes ago. Going into the Oilers' season, what are you most encouraged about? Uh, Connor McDavid. Uh, you know, we saw a glimpse of him last year when he played just half the season, saw how good he could be. Uh, he looks even better. I mean... He's been dominant in the preseason, dominant. I, he, I, I don't know what his final point total was, but it's probably half of what it should have been. He, 
uh, a lot of times tried giving it to other players on the team to get them going when he could have taken it himself. He scored some beautiful goals. Uh, one that was actually disallowed that shouldn't have been. So to me, the most encouraging thing about the Oilers right now will be the play of Connor McDavid. All right, and the flip side, what do you find most discouraging about the Oilers heading in? I don't know if the word's discouraging for it, but my biggest fear is depth for the Oilers. I mean, both up front and on the back end, I think with you know the injuries they have to Packerinen and with Hendricks, not having Versteeg, uh, at one point waving Lander, uh, and Pliarvi, you know, the kid is going to be good, but right now, you know, he had a, a so-so preseason. On the back end, uh, you know, Riva did not look good. Fane struggled at times. Reinhardt did not play well at all, so much that Matt Benning was the guy that everyone thought played the best on the back end. So to me, depth, I don't know if it's discouraging, but it's certainly uh, a little scary for the Edmonton Oilers right now. Yeah, I think that's a fair point. Kajula's going to start the year injured, so we'll see how they'll go at the morning skate tomorrow. Uh, Gribus, uh, well, I don't think they've officially announced it, but Peter Shirelli basically said it on Oilers now that they'll sign Griba and send him to the minors. I mean, I would think Fane sits out tomorrow and Nurse plays with Davidson. And I know Nurse's puck handling has been not good at times, um, though I think Nurse has looked more settled with Davidson than he has with other partners. Well, I think in the defending part of it, I think Nurse has been a stronger player. I, I you know, he's he's big, he's strong, he's got speed. He's not going to beat beat one on one. Where Fane, I mean, there was a number of times where in the preseason where his foot speed cost them. Uh, Darnell Nurse has got to become more comfortable when the puck is on his stick. It seems like he gets a little excited, and and the plays uh, don't get made when when he's making trying to make the plays. That'll come with time and experience. But yeah, as of right now, I think Darnell Nurse is higher on the depth chart than Fane. But once again, Nurse did not have a great preseason, and Fane certainly didn't. So the Oilers, a couple question marks starting the season in the third pairing. Rob, apparently there's a uh, pregame ceremony tomorrow and puck drop uh, 8.30, So we're going to be up late. Bring some coffee. I'll bring my sleeping bag and a pillow. We're all set. <laughs> Thanks, Rob. Rob Brown checking in tonight, our Inside the Game analyst on 6.30 Chet and the Oilers Radio Network. So Strudwick encouraged by the defense, discouraged by the center position. Brown encouraged by McDavid, discouraged by the depth. You can text your thoughts to 630-630. Speaking of Connor McDavid, the man who literally wrote the book on the young man, Marty Klinkenberg, coming up. Plus, from Global Television, Quinn Oler, who's recovering from running a 50K race over the weekend. All ahead, Inside Sports on Chad. 630 Chad, Inside Sports with Reed Wilkins. Weekdays at 6 on 630 Chad.